The reason I'm here is, uh, is actually to start off a, a series. So I was invited by Pastor Jeff and the team uh, to come and begin a series that, like Jeff said, uh, the other campuses are doing as well, called Creatures of Habit. And the reason we're doing the series, just simply put, um, is because it's the new year, right? So January 1st is here now. Uh, Christmas is behind us. The holidays are sort of behind us. And so this time of year tends to be the time when many of us are starting to sort of assess our habits, starting to look at the habits that we had in the previous year, analyzing that, and then looking forward and talking about how can we change habits, how can we add habits, how can we subtract habits. This is where the whole New Year's resolution thing comes in. I know some of you might not do that, but a lot of us do. And that's why come January 1st, right, gym memberships are up, cigarette sales are down. And at least for a month, it's that way until we all kind of go back to our other habits anyway. But the reason we're doing this series is because we're trying to capitalize on that a little bit. And really, we're trying to use this series almost as a way of asking your permission to allow this series and to allow God through this series to speak into your habits. I just want to ask you, regardless if you're a follower of Jesus, regardless if you're a guest or not, would you allow this series and some of the things that we're going to see in the Bible, would you allow that to speak into your habits and speak into this process as you look into 2016? Because here's what I believe. I believe that some of the principles that we're going to look at in this series that come from the Bible, that as we look at these together, that if you put them into practice in your life, that they literally have the power to transform your life, that your habits have the potential, they're more powerful than you know, and they have the power to change the the trajectory of your life and lead you into the fullness and into the fulfillment of life that God designs for you. I genuinely believe that. I know that sounds like an exaggeration. That might sound like preacher talk, but I really do mean that. And, uh, and our hope is to kind of show you that through this series. Now, tonight, tonight, I am simply doing an introduction. That's what I've been asked to do. And so what I'm going to be doing with our time together is I'm just going to be laying the foundation. And I just want to sort of set up the big idea that's going to carry us all the way through this series. Okay, so that's all we're going to do. So for the end of our talk today, you're like, man, you know, I wish we would have went a little deeper, or it sounds like we could really just kind of keep going with that. Um, that's completely okay, because remember, this is an introduction. And so that's all we're trying to do is whet your appetite and sort of set up the main idea that's going to drive this whole series. So the big idea that's going to drive this series is actually a very simple idea, but a very profound one. And it's a principle that we find in the book of Galatians chapter 6. And so I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, to grab them with me. And we're going to go to Galatians chapter 6. Okay, so grab your Bibles, if you will. Go there. Uh, if you're a smartphone person or a tablet person, you can use your phone as well. Um, there's a Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version. If you go to the app store, it's, you can download it for free. It's awesome. And you can get there that way. Or uh, we also have some Bibles for you on that back table and uh, so if you don't have a Bible, not a problem, you can just grab one of those. And it's going to be found on page uh, 946 in those Bibles that we have laid out there for you. So Galatians 6, go ahead and get there. Turn out however you want to. And as you're flipping there, uh, let me start by telling you a little story. So before um, I had the opportunity, my wife and I had the opportunity to be part of launching the Medina East Campus, which was three years ago, we had the privilege of helping uh, serve in the college ministry at our Bath Campus for about seven years. And we absolutely loved it, had an absolute blast with it. And as you can imagine, college ministry requires an entirely different lifestyle. And so our life consisted of late nights. Uh, It consisted of many conversations about dating and relationships. It consisted of several pranks. My house got TP'd like a bajillion times when we were in college ministry. And one of the things I loved about college ministry the most was some of the unique trips and some of the unique events that we got to be part of. So one of the trips that we got to do, and I love this, was every year... 
I would take a group of guys, some up-and-coming leaders, guys who are 18 to 25, somewhere in there, uh, guys who were showing leadership potential, and I would take them on a week-long men's wilderness excursion. And when I say wilderness, I mean capital W, wilderness. This was out of cell phone range, out of mechanical range, out of social and you know, cultural. It was, it was just nowhere. It was up in Alg- Algonquin, Canada. We'd take a group of these guys up there, and we would go portaging. Now, if you've never heard of portaging or if you don't know what that is, uh, Canadians call it portaging. And basically what it is, is it's, it's, it's a combination of backpacking and canoeing. And so you canoe across different lakes, and then you jump from lake to lake. And so when you're not canoeing, you're carrying all your stuff with you, right? And so you've got your backpack with you. You carry all your food in with you, which you keep in a bear-proof bag, and you tie up in a rope and throw in a tree at nighttime. Total man trip, right? And, and then, of course, you carry your canoe, too. And so you have to carry your canoe as you're portaging or portaging. So we were going to do this, and what happened one year was so fun was we actually took a leader with us, one of the leaders who was part of the college ministry, This guy was probably one of the wisest people I've ever met in my entire life, but he was about double the age of most of the guys who were on this trip, so he was in his 50s. Now, of course, as we all know, being in your 50s is not old at all, but when you're 18, being 50 is like you're flirting with the grave, man, you know, and that's what the way they they viewed it. And so what happened a lot of times, and because these guys loved him so much and because he loved them so much and there was just this mutual affection, they had this banter going on all the time, back and forth. They would just tease each other relentlessly. And it was all in good fun. And so the whole way up, like 12-hour trip to Canada, these guys are all making fun of this guy. And they're like, hey, old man, you're going to be able to hack it? You know? And, and they're like, hey, old man, you need to carry your stuff for you? And they're just having fun and those type of things. And I love this guy, this older guy, because he would just sit there and he'd just take it. And he would just smirk. And, and every once in a while, he'd retort back with some witty comment. But most of the time, he would just sit there and take it, just kind of smirk. And he was just this great guy. Well, anyway, this whole trip, these guys are making fun of him. And then we finally get there. And we get the canoes in the water, and we go across our first lake, and everything's fine. And then when we got to our first portage, I proceeded to see one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And so all these young guys, you know, 18 to 25, these big, strong dudes, get out of the boats, start getting their stuff ready. And immediately they take their canoes and they start to put, to put them over their shoulders to carry them. Now, when you carry a canoe when you're portaging, you have to take your canoe, literally put it upside down, put it on your shoulders. There's a yoke that's in the middle. You put it on your shoulders and that's sort of how you carry it. So it's over your head. You really can't see a whole lot when you have it. Now, all these young guys, right, they're 18 to 25. And so they have something to prove. They're all super competitive. So they grab their canoes, they put them, they hoist them on their shoulders and they just take off, man. They just start going at it. It's like a two mile walk and they just start going at it over these hills and there's rocks and all this kind of stuff. And it was the funniest thing I've ever seen because as they're walking, the canoe is tilting back and forth. It's just, you know, they, they take one step forward and the canoe starts to lean forward. They take one step back. And so they're fighting this thing, right? And so when it leans forward, they're like running forward. And when it leans back, they're like going back and they can't see anything. So they're slamming into trees the whole time. And it literally looked like a canoe with a drunken canoe with legs walking through the forest. It was awesome. And I just thought it was so funny. So this is all happening. While this is happening, this older gentleman, who's one of our leaders, I watch him do this. All these guys are running ahead because they're all trying to be first. He takes his canoe, throws it up on his shoulders. For about 10 seconds, kind of moves it a little bit this way, kind of moves a little bit that way, adjusts it. Then he proceeds to put his hands to his side, 
And no joke, he just calmly and smoothly starts walking with this thing. And I mean, this thing is perfectly balanced. And he's going up hills, and he's going down hills, and he's walking, and he never once touches his canoe. He's just sitting there like this, walking past these guys who are resting and putting their canoes down, just, hey, guys, you know, just keeps going. Finally, we get to the end of the portage. All these young guys are huffing and puffing, tired, sweating, taking breaks, and this older guy comes up to us. I'll never forget this. He comes cruising up, again, never touching his canoe, and then in some, like, ninja move, gets the canoe off of him and puts it down, looks at us, not even dripping sweat, and just goes, fellas, and we were all like, we are not worthy of you. You know, you're amazing. And we're like, how did you do that? And no one made fun of him for the rest of the trip. And what we came to find out, what was the difference between us and him, right? Was it that um, we were stronger than he was uh, or, or, anything like, or that he was stronger than us? Well, well, no, that's not the case because a lot of these guys were 18 to 25. Many of these guys played football, big dudes. Some of them could bench press more than me. So it wasn't that, that, that he was stronger than them, right? Was it that he was luckier? Did he have like a lighter canoe or something? And we had heavier canoes? No, it wasn't that. We all had the same canoe. Here's what it was. It wasn't that he was stronger. It wasn't that he was luckier. It was that he was smarter than us. He was wiser than we were. And what we came to find out was he taught us this. He said, listen, guys, all you are trying to prove something, and you're grabbing your canoe, and you're running after it, trying to get it. He's like, listen, if you would just take 10 seconds and take the canoe and find that sweet spot, the center of balance, he says, you will save yourself time, you will save yourself energy, you'll be able to put your hands to your side, which is going to conserve energy for you. And he said, rather than wrestling with gravity the whole time, you can leverage it to your benefit. And so we all learn something from this incredibly wise man. Now, why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you that? Well, here's why I tell you that. Because in this passage today, we are going to see a principle that is as certain as gravity, as certain as gravity. And this, this principle can either be something that today we can ignore or act like doesn't, is, isn't real, and we can, for the rest of our lives, struggle and be frustrated with it. Or we can, like my friend, we can leverage it. And we can use this in such a way that we are benefited from it rather than burdened by it, all right? Like, what are you talking about? Well, I want to show it to you. So let's take a look. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Here it goes. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And look, let's read it again. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Okay, let's pause there for a minute. Um, so when I first read this verse several years ago, I don't know, I don't know if it has struck you this way, but it struck me this When I first read this verse, it struck me almost as a condescending antagonistic statement on God's part. And I don't know if it struck you that way, but when I read this, I remember I first thought to myself, it's almost like God is saying, look, don't be fooled, all right? Don't be deceived. You don't make fun of me. And if you make fun of me, I'm God, you're not, I'm going to mow you down, baby, right? I want to make bad stuff happen to you if you make fun of me. So I'm going to come after you. I'm going to put you in your place. I'm going to make your minivan break down. I'm going to make your kids get sick. Right? I'm going to make you root for the Steelers. All the worst things imaginable. Right? I'm going to make you go to a Nickelback concert. He's like, that's what I'm going to make you do. And, and that's the way it works. I'm just, you know, and I, that, when I kind of read it, I sort of thought, man, it's sort of an antagonistic statement. Right? This is kind of God saying, I'll put you in your place if you dare make fun of me. But then I came to realize as I studied this passage, this is not an antagonistic statement. This is not a condescending statement. It's a factual statement. All right? Do not be deceived. God can't be mocked. A 
person will reap what they sow, okay? And what the Apostle Paul, I believe, is trying to draw out here is he's trying to show us the plain and straightforward reality that God, who has created all things, has baked into his creation certain irrefutable, undeniable laws that govern that created world. You guys think about it for a minute. This is true in the, in, in the physical material world, isn't it? Everything from botany to biology to astronomy, all of those different things in, in physics, they're all governed by a certain set of laws and principles that are irrefutable, undeniable, right? Gravity, laws of physics, uh, thermodynamics. You can't argue with those things, right? I can't, I can't deny that that's there. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. doesn't matter if I like it or not. It's irrefutable, and I can't deny it. So gravity, right? I, I, could, I could stand up on top of a 20-story building today, and I could say, I think gravity's dumb. I think it's stupid. I think gravity's for losers. So I'm going to jump off this building, and I'm going to show gravity who's boss. You would look at me and say, dude, don't do that. And I'd be like, why? And you'd be like, because you're not going to win, okay? You can make fun of gravity all you want to, but it's going to win every single time. Now, if you said that to me, that's not an antagonistic statement. That's not a condescending statement. That's a factual statement. Gravity will not be mocked. I mean, you can mock it, but you're not going to beat it. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, it doesn't really matter how you feel about this, okay? This isn't like some condescending, arrogant, you know, thing that God is doing. He's just saying this is an irrefutable law that God has baked into our spirituality and our morality. Listen, if the same God who created the universe has baked into that creation certain irrefutable laws, it is only reasonable for us to believe and biblical for us to believe that that same God has baked irrefutable laws into morality and into our spirituality. And here's one of them. Let's look at it again. Verse 7, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. God can't be mocked. can't mock this one. And here it is. Here's the truth. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. A person reaps what they sow. How straightforward is that, man? How simple is that? The Apostle Paul is using a farming analogy to help us understand a spiritual reality. And the cool thing about this principle is it's so simple, you don't even have to be a farmer to understand it. I've never farmed a day in my life, and I know exactly what he's talking about. What he's saying is the, the seed that you sow determines the plant that you grow. You will reap what you sow. You plant certain seeds, you're going to harvest the crop that you've planted. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, in this life, this is a spiritual reality, that the decisions that, listen, the decisions that you and I make, okay, the habits that we put into our life are like seeds, and they are the small things that grow into the big things that bear fruit into our lives. And so the habits that you put into your marriage, the habits that you invest into your sexuality, the habits that you invest that no one else knows about, but they're habits that you're involved in, those are seeds, small things that grow into big things that produce uh, fruit in your life. Financial, I could go on and on and on. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us. He said, listen, this is the principle that God has designed. A person will reap what they sow. Now, I know even when I say that, some of you are like, that just sounds obvious, man. That's not profound in any way. That is so simple, right? And please hear me. I am not trying to insult your intelligence at all. But, but here's the crazy thing. As obvious as this is, and as simple as this might seem, so many of us, and myself included, oftentimes live as if we are exempt from this. Oftentimes live our lives like we can get around this, that I can make certain decisions and I can have certain habits, and I know that God said that, but I'm going to find a way around that. And sometimes we live that, and sometimes I live that way too. And the question is, why? 
Why is it that this straightforward truth that makes so much sense, that seems so obvious, you reap what you sow, if you sow corn seed and you sow corn seed and you sow corn seed, you can't expect to have a watermelon harvest? It's so obvious. Why is it that sometimes we live as if it's not true? This is why I think the Apostle Paul says in verse 7, if you glance at it again, he starts, do you notice how he starts? He says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Now, why would the Apostle Paul write those words? Do not be deceived. Well, I have a theory. Here's my theory. I think the reason the Apostle Paul says do not be deceived is because he knows that we're deceived. I know, really profound, right? He knows that you and I have a proclivity to be deceived in realizing that this is true. So that begs a good question then. What deceives us? Well, I think there's a lot of things that deceive us, but I'll name three. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. These are three biblical ways that we're deceived according to what the Bible teaches us. Here's the first one, plain and simple, our pride. Pride has a way of deceiving us. In uh, Obadiah chapter chapter 1, verse 3, God says to his people, he says this, he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. And, And how simple is that? The pride in our heart deceives us. Pride has a way of intoxicating us. It, it, it distorts our view of reality, it distorts our view of ourself, and it distorts the way that we view God. Pride has a way of inflating us. It has a way of making us think that we are more important than we are, that we somehow know better than God. It, it gives us a sense of, um, of, of this terminal uniqueness that I am, I am, even though this applies to everyone else, I am so unique, I'm going to figure out a way around this. And what can happen sometimes is we get really good at fooling other people, and we start to think, well, I've fooled my family. They think everything's fine. They don't know about this. I've fooled my friends. I've fooled my spouse about this for so long. We start to think to ourselves, well, I could probably fool God too. I can get around this. I can find a loophole. I can somehow meet. And even though I know that he says you reap what you sow, I'm going to reap these decisions, and I'm going to somehow get to a different conclusion. And that's why the Bible says, uh, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A person's going to reap what they sow. Listen, you can fool some of the people all the time, you can fool all the people some of the time. You can fool God none of the time. And, and that's not an arrogant statement. It's a factual statement. He's our creator, and we are the created. And humility starts in understanding that, right? So we can be uh, blinded, by, dece- by deceived by our own uh, pride and self-centeredness. Here, here's another one the Bible teaches us. This one is maybe a little less obvious. Did you know we can be deceived by knowledge? Did you know that? Did you know the Bible says that knowledge can be deceiving? And uh, for some of you, even as I'm saying this to you and we're reading this verse, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, yeah, I know that. A man reaps what he sows, know that, heard that before. In fact, Pastor Jeff gave a sermon on it like two months ago, and it was way better than yours, man. You know, so know that, know that truth, know it, right? I can say it in the Greek, lo me o oso, I don't even know. That's a terrible Greek impersonation, right? But you're like, I know that, and, and hey, knowledge is awesome. Praise God for the knowledge that he gives us in the Bible. But listen, Do you know that knowledge has a warning attached to it? The Bible says that knowledge can puff up. The Bible says, that's why in James he says this, he says, don't just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. You gotta be doers too. It's not enough just to know the right things, but to put them into practice. I don't know if you guys ever thought about it this way, but what happens here on Saturday nights when we come together for church can be a very life-giving thing. To hear the word of God, to, hear, to, 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 to experience worship together could be very, very life-giving. But did you know this can also be a very dangerous thing? And here's what I mean by that, man. Sometimes we can come into to a service like this or when Pastor Jeff teaches, sometimes you can come in and we can feel so convicted. 
And we could say, oh, that was so convicting. I felt so convicted. In fact, that message was so good. I'm going to go home later. I'm going to get the podcast. I'm going to listen to it again just so I can feel convicted all over again, right? And then I'm going to give it to my sister because she really needs to be convicted, you know? And then I'm going to get in a grace group, and we're going to get together and talk about how convicted we were. Wasn't that convicting? That was so convicting. I felt so convicted, right? And, and listen, praise God that the Holy Spirit convicts us when we hear his word. But hear me on this. If conviction doesn't include action, it's deception. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It's not enough to just know the right things. You have to take this. You can't just know this principle. Oh, I know that. No, you got to live like it's real. Incorporate it into your life. It's not enough to know the right answers. You have to do something as well. So pride can deceive us. Knowledge can deceive us. I'll give you one more. Biblically speaking, false teaching can deceive us. False teaching. Now, what's that all about? Um, well, simply put, false teaching is any teaching that goes against the sound teaching of what the scripture teaches, all right? That's false teaching in a nutshell. Anything that's contrary to the sound teaching of scripture, and as it relates to this particular truth, a man reaps what he sows, there are some lines of false teaching that we see in our culture. Here's a couple of them. One of them is the prominent teaching in our culture of moral relativity. Morality is relative. Spirituality is relative. You decide what's good for you, and I'll decide what's good for me. Whatever's good for you is good for you, whatever's good for me is good for me. Don't you tell me what's good for me because I determine that, and I can do whatever I want with whomever I want, whenever I want, and as long as no one gets hurt, it's all fine. The Bible would say that's false. In the same way that the entire universe is governed by certain irrefutable laws, morality and spirituality is the same. We don't determine what's best for us because we are the created, not the creator. Those things come from God. And that's why the scripture says this. God can't be mocked. Don't be deceived by that, right? We live in a culture today that teaches us, that each one of us, that we are the helpless victims of our environment and our circumstances and our upbringing and our genetics and our government and all those things. And so basically, if you have a bad thing happen in your life, if you're experiencing a consequence to something, our culture sometimes teaches us, hey, that's not your fault, not your fault. Your parents' fault, it's the government's fault, it's your genetics' fault, it's your family dynamic, it's your cultural conditioning and the environment, and that's, what, that's whose fault it is. Now, to be fair, there is some legitimacy to that, isn't there? Because the reality is that each and every single one of us have been affected by the harvest of another person's life. You can't deny that. Each one of us have either benefited from or have been burdened by the harvest and the bad and the good decisions that our parents have made, right? For some of you, your parents made awesome financial decisions, and you have been benefited by that. You've been blessed by that. For some of you, your parents made terrible financial decisions, and you have been burdened by that. And so all of us have been affected by the harvest of another person's life, whether it be a sibling or a parent or a friend or whatever it might be. So you can't deny that. You can't deny that. But if you stop there and say, well, that means that I'm not responsible for any of my actions or any of my decisions because I'm just a helpless victim of all of this stuff that I inherited, that's not true. It's a false teaching. And that's why it says in this passage, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man, a woman will reap what they sow. And so our responsibility, it shifts on us. We can't shirk out of this one because each person will reap what they've sown. So here's what I love about this principle. What I love about this principle in the Bible is that it's a principle. And that means that it's not a bad thing and it's not a good thing. Just like gravity is not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a thing thing, right? And because it's a principle, that means this. It means you can't get around it. it means you can't deny it, can't mock God. Okay, great. But it does mean this. You can leverage it. You can leverage this principle, 
right? And you can either spend all of your life um, trying to ignore it, living your life as if it doesn't exist, and struggling as a result of it, or you can leverage this to your benefit, right? This will either bite you or bless you every single time, right? You can either earn this or you can pay this. So the question is then, how do you leverage it? How do you work this principle in such a way that you pay it rather than you earn it? And this is what I love so much about God and I love so much about the Bible is he actually tells us. God loves us so much that he told us how we can leverage this principle. So let's take a look. Verse eight, here's what the apostle Paul says. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I love this verse. Love it. Because the Apostle Paul says, let me show you how to leverage this. And he says, listen, I want you to imagine that in front of you, all of your decisions and all of your habits, he says, I want you to envision that there's two fields. The Apostle Paul says one field is called the flesh, the other one is called the spirit. Now, what's that all about, flesh and the spirit? Well, here's what it's about. The flesh, some of you might know this, in the New Testament, most of the time what that's referring to is our sinful nature. The inside of all of us, we have a natural proclivity to please ourselves at the expense of God. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to ignore what God wants me to do. That's inside of all of us. That's inside of me too. The Bible says we can sow to please the flesh, but then he says, but there's another field. And the other field is the spirit. What's that talking about? Here's what it means. Some of you guys know, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you become a Christian, and I know not everyone in this room is necessarily a Christian. Some of you are still investigating that. But if you're a Christ follower, the Bible says, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, one of the things that results in that is that the Holy Spirit of God takes up residency in your life. So now you've got two natures. You've got the flesh and you've got the spirit. And the Bible says, the spirit wants to please God wants to do the things God wants, wants to deny myself and wants to follow what God ultimately wants, serve other people and serve God, love him and love my neighbors. That's what uh, the Spirit wants for me. And the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, that your habits and your decisions, you're sowing into one of these two fields. And he says, depending on how you sow is going to determine what you reap. And he says, they both have a trajectory. If you sow to please the flesh, from the flesh you'll reap destruction. Some of your Bibles say corruption. If you sow to please the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. Now, what's that all about? Destruction and eternal life? Some of you are like, is that heaven and hell? Is that what that's talking about? Is the Apostle Paul telling me that if I make good, wise, moral decisions, I go to heaven? If I make bad, sinful decisions, I go to hell? Is that what he's saying? And let me just be super, super clear on this. Absolutely not, okay? In fact, the entire book of Galatians is the Apostle Paul trying to help people see that that is not the truth. The the whole book of Galatians is the Apostle Paul telling people, you are not forgiven, accepted, or saved by God based on your moral performance. It has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with how good you are, how religious you are, your religious adherence. It has everything to do with faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about our good works. It's about his good work. And if you put your faith in Christ, then you inherit what he is reaping. Okay? You get what Christ reaps if you put your faith in him. And so the Apostle Paul makes that real clear. So what's this about then? If this isn't about heaven and hell, what is all this talk about eternal life and about destruction? Well, I'll tell you what he's saying. What he's trying to show you is, regardless if you're a Christian or not, regardless if you have the forgiveness of sins, which if you have Jesus Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins, regardless of that, what he's saying is, you cannot get around this, that there are consequences. Consequences, 
If you're a Christian or not, there are consequences for the decisions that you make. And what he says is, if you sow to please the flesh, from the flesh you'll reap destruction. That word corruption, decay. And what's he talking about? What gets destroyed? If you sow to please the flesh, a lot of things can get destroyed. Your relationships, your joy, your finances, destruction. Very practically speaking, it leads to destruction. You sow to please the Spirit, though, it leads to eternal life. Now, eternal life, whenever you and I hear that, we tend to think we're talking about heaven, right? Pie in the sky, after I die, heaven. But the Bible says, no, that's not really the case, because most of the time, eternal life is used in the Bible. It's talking about a quality of life. It uses the word zoe, and what that's talking about is the quality of life that God desires for you and I. So what the Bible says is, you, pl- you sow to please the flesh, it's going to lead to destruction. Destruction of all the good things God wants for you. Destruction of relationships and destruction of your finances and destruction of whatever, you know, your health and your joy. But if you sow to please the Spirit, it's going to lead to the fulfilling life that God desires, a deep abiding joy that God wants for you, right? Now, some of you, as I'm talking about that, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, that's kind of making sense, but not real sure I'm tracking with you. So let me just say it another way. Try to explain it a different way. So one of the habits that I, we're talking about habits, one of the habits that my family and I have been trying to get into, not perfectly, but this is something we've been trying to do, is that once a week, I try to sit down with, I have two little boys, so I got a five-year-old and a six-year-old, and my wife, I don't know if you guys saw her uh, on her way out in the first service, she's extremely pregnant. And so we have a, a little girl coming in about three weeks, so that in, the, the invasion is going to be happening. The princess will be landing at the house. So pray for us, because right now we're in man land. It's all like superheroes and guns and action figures and explosions. And so the girl's going to be coming soon. And I hope it stays that way, but it might not. So that's all going to be happening very, very soon. But right now, one of the habits that we try to get into is that once a week, without mom, just me and the two dudes, four, the five and the six-year-old, we get together and we try to do God time, we try to sit down and do discipleship. Basically, we open the Bible and try to talk about the things of God. Um, now, that can be challenging because they're five and six, so to find creative ways to do that. And so one of the things that we've been doing is we've been trying to memorize verses in the Bible. One of the verses that we started memorizing a couple months ago is this one. Uh, Galatians 6, 8, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. We even put it kind of to a beat. And so they dance to it and they've got it memorized and it's fun. And so they're, they're running around the kitchen on one, one of these mornings that we we're doing this and they're singing this verse, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And I'm watching them do this and it occurs to me, they have no idea what the heck that means. And so I was like, all right, He's like, let me see, how do you explain this to a five and a six-year-old? So I was like, I'll try my best. So I got some paper, had him sit down at the kitchen table. We like to draw stuff. So I sat down. I said, okay. It's like, uh, man, how do you do this? So I was like, uh, it's like, boys, do you guys know what it means to reap and sow? And they're just like, no. And I was like, all right, well, I can't go that way. So I was like, okay. I was like, uh, okay, I got it. I was like, how about this? It's like, do you guys know what it means to make a decision? like to make a choice? And they were like, well, sure. That's like when you pick between two things. I was like, right, okay, good. I said, so when we go to the park, like when we go to the park together, we're walking down a path, right? I said, sometimes the path will split. It'll fork into two directions. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, that's kind of what it means to make a decision, right? So I drew on the paper, kind of this fork, and it looked like this. I didn't actually use a PowerPoint with my children. This was on a piece of paper. So I drew that. And I said, so this is what it kind of looks like to make a decision, right? I said, you're going down through life, and all of a sudden, you've got two different directions you can go. I said, and the Bible says, you're going to be confronted with a lot of decisions. 
And some of those decisions are going to include whether you do what you want or whether you do what God wants, because you and God aren't always going to agree. I said, so you're going to find yourself in a situation where there's a crossroads. And I said, so for example, I said, let's say that um, your brother was playing with a toy and you wanted it. And so you were tempted to hit him and take the toy. Now, the reason I use this analogy is because it was extremely relevant to the situation that had happened earlier. So I was like, let's just hypothetically say that was the case, right? I said, "Um, does God want you to hit your brother? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay. I said, what does God want you to do? They're like, share, be nice. You know, they knew it was God time, so they have all the right answers. And so I was like, right. I said, well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you decide that you're going to ignore God and hit your brother anyway and take the toy, the Bible says you have just sowed to please your flesh. That's the decision that you've made. You are sowing to please your flesh. I said, but the Bible, so, so one direction is flesh. I said, but the Bible says that if you decided that you weren't going to hit your brother and that instead you were going to, you're like, I'm going to do what God wants because God loves me and he knows what's best. I'm going to do what God wants instead of what I, you deny the flesh. I said, the Bible says you have sowed to the spirit. And they're kind of paying attention, kind of not. They're drawing on their paper. And I said, which one, which direction do you guys think is better? Now, of course, it's God time, right? So they all have the right answer. They're like, that one, you know, God, Jesus, you know. I was like, okay. I was like, all right. I kept going. So I said, well, here's the problem, boys. So the problem is, after you make a choice, not too long after, in fact, sometimes moments after, you're going to be confronted with another decision to obey God or to obey your flesh. And I said, you guys, our whole life is a series of decisions and it's a series of habits that we make day in and day out. And I said, and what the Bible is telling us is if that we constantly sow to please our flesh and please our flesh and please our flesh and please our flesh and please our flesh, please our flesh the Bible says that leads to a trajectory. And what, what you sow is what you reap and you will reap destruction. Destruction of the good things that God wants for you. Destruction of what your heavenly Father, who loves you so much, wants for your life. I said, but if you sow to please the Spirit, you sow to please the Spirit, you do what God wants, and you listen to Him, and you try to obey, I said, that's going to lead to what the Bible calls eternal life, which is the quality of life God wants for you. I said, you guys, God loves you so much. He wants to give you good stuff. He wants you to experience a deep joy in your heart. And they're not even paying attention to me anymore, but I don't care because I'm preaching now, you know, and I'm going after it. And so finally, I get done explaining this whole thing. And I looked down at my kids, and I'm like, I don't think they're tracking with this at all. So I just asked him, I said, what do you guys think about this? What do you think? And my oldest son, this is so cool, my oldest son goes, um, he goes, well, Dad, he goes, the other day when we were in the store, he goes, and I lied to you. We had an episode at the store a couple days previous, and there was a thing, and he lied to me. He said, the other day when we were in the store, and he's like, and, and I lied to you. It's like, yeah. He goes, I was sowing to please the flesh, wasn't I? And I was like, what? Like, wow, you're like a little theologian, you know? I was like, yeah. It's like, you were. It's like, that's right. But I said, what could you have done, you think, to get back on the right path? And he goes, I could have told you the truth. It's like, and if I told the truth to you, then I'd be sowing to please the spirit. I was like, you shut your face. That's incredible. How did you know this? And then, and then he said to me, he goes, and dad, I think the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ is what's sufficient for my sight. <laughs> He didn't say that last part, but he did say the other things. He did say that. And so then I looked down at his paper, and this is what I actually took a picture to show my wife. I'll show you guys. This is the picture that he drew. And so you can see he drew the decision tree, and there's the spirit and God, and there's the flesh in myself, and then there's that little guy over there. I don't know what he's all about, but he's happy, so that's good, right? 
And I was like, wow, that's incredible, buddy. And then I thought, that's awesome. I was like, I wonder what my five-year-old is thinking, you know? And so I looked at my five-year-old, and I said, buddy, I said, what do you think about that? And this is what he said, and I wrote it down because I had to tell my wife. It was so good. This is a quote. I said, buddy, what do you think that this, I said, what do you think about all this stuff? He said, quote, I think the frog is going to build his own parachute. I was like, uh, say that again? He's like, yeah, I think the frog is going to build his own parachute. It's like, wow, that has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. And then I looked at the picture that he drew, and uh, we'll go to this slide. That's the picture he drew. So you can see there's frogs with parachutes. So apparently the age in which you can understand this truth is somewhere between five and six. I don't know, somewhere in there, right? But you guys see how this works, right? You guys see how this works. I think this is why Proverbs chapter 3 puts it this way. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, the Bible says. And so you guys, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. We reap what we sow. The decisions and the habits that you sow into your marriage will determine what you reap. If you sow to the flesh, if it's selfishness, bitterness, competition, it's going to reap a harvest. The Bible says you sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. Destruction of what? Destruction of intimacy, destruction of the joy that God wants for you, the destruction of the picture of marriage that God wants for you, maybe even destruction of your marriage. But man, you sow to please the Spirit. You sow to please God. Ephesians chapter 5, to be selfless, to serve as Christ did. You make investments, habitual investments to know the other person and love the other person. It's going to reap a harvest, man. That's eternal life. That's the life that God wants for you. Now, the good things in life, the, the richness, that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect for you, but there's an inner abiding joy that happens when we do that. Our relationships, man, the decisions you sow are going to reap a harvest. So bitterness, so unforgiveness, so resentment is going to reap a harvest. And, it's, and that Bible says you sow to please the flesh, destruction. Destruction of what? Destruction of the ability to trust anybody? Destruction of your joy? Some of us were like, man, I, I can't forgive that person. You don't understand. They have to pay. No, no, you'll pay. That's why the Bible says, look, let that stuff go, man. You've got to sow to please the Spirit. Forgiveness, reconciliation. You do that, it's going to produce a harvest in your life. Man, we go on and on about business choices and about health decisions and about private habits, and we will in this series. Listen, I, I say all of that to simply just ask you this one question. This is it. What are you sowing? What are you sowing? Your habits, your decisions. When you look to, to your daily habits, the ones that people know about and the ones that people don't, what are you sowing? Because don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. And, and this is what the Bible shows us, right? Maybe a better question is this. What do you want to reap? What do you want the story of your life to be? Because here's something that I know, according to this truth. The story of your life is told by the substance of your days. Every day, every habit, every decision, over the period of time, compound interest is going to accumulate the story of your life. You take this next week of your life, multiply it by the compound interest of the rest of your days, and that's the story of your life. That's it. And if you expect to come to some radically different conclusion to reap something radically different than what you're sowing, the Bible says you've been deceived and God won't be mocked. 
Now, this has not, some of you are like, but I'm a Christian, man. Aren't I forgiven from the bad decisions that I made? Like I said, this has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. Christ has forgiven you if you've put your faith in him. Heaven is entirely yours. That's all off the table. What the Bible's saying is there are consequences to the actions that we make in this life. We will reap what we sow, right? Um, I'll finish with this last thought, and then after that, I'll pray, and the band can come up, and we'll be finished. But I know for some of you, even as we're having this conversation, it's, you feel the weight of it. And maybe for some of you, you think back, and you're like, man, I wish I could have heard this years ago. I wish I could have heard this before this event or this situation in my life. And some of you feel the weight of that because maybe you, you look at your decisions and you look at your habits and you realize that you have sown, uh, you, have, you have reaped from, uh, from seed that you've sown and you're not real proud of that, right? And for some of you, you feel the weight of that. And, and let me just encourage you that, man, God's grace is, is, immense, is immense and it's huge. And here's what I love is it's never too late to start living according to what the Spirit desires for you. It's never too late to start doing that. And I've seen this, where God will take the past hurts and frustrations and the past, uh, the past pain in someone's life, and he will redeem that so that they can use that for the good of the gospel. I think God wants to do that for all of us, man. He loves us, for the, and, he, and he wants to show us and impart that kind of love to us. So Chinese proverb goes like this. It says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. It's today. It's never too late to start sowing the seed that God desires for us to sow. Let's pray.